That for me is one of the most incredible things. It wasn't any one person, any one organisation that was fighting. This was us. This was all of us. From WSL Pure, this is One Ocean. Hey everyone, Reese here, and I hope you're healthy and safe wherever you're listening amidst this global pandemic. We're carrying on here and doing our best to bring you the relevant stories, learnings, and lessons from those in our community working to protect our ocean. This week, we're happy to share another successful story with you. If you were following along the World Surf League a year ago, you might remember that we were sharing content out of Australia from the Fight for the Bite campaign. The Bite, more formally, the Great Australian Bite, is the very large open bay off the southern coast of Australia. It's a huge expanse with really productive, nutrient-dense water, which supports incredible marine biodiversity. It's also home to Bells Beach, and it's a stone's throw from Margaret River. Just two notable surf spots, but today's story is about way more than surfing. The Fight for the Bite is a campaign meant to protect this rare, untouched coastline, in this specific case, from offshore oil drilling. Today, we'll hear from Damien Cole, who has been a prominent voice in this effort in the last year. But as he'll note, there are a ton of people who are a part of this campaign and still are active in protecting the bite. From the Great Australian Bite Alliance's founding organizations, the Murning Traditional Owners, Clean Bite Alliance Australia, Oil Free Seas Australia, Sea Shepherd, Surfrider Foundation, the Wilderness Society, Patagonia, etc. There are many new partners, individuals, and more, and this is another story of a broad and diverse coalition collaborating to defend against an entrenched power. So while there are many people to recognize in this effort, we're happy to bring you this one conversation, zooming in on Damien Cole's efforts in this fight, helping to rally the Australian surf community to paddle out to protect its coast. Here's Damien. How would you introduce yourself? My name's Damien Cole. Everyone in Australia knows me as Damo. Uh, and I'm just kind of a an everyday community member uh, that has is very passionate about things, um, particularly environment. And when I get started on something, I've never done things in halves. So I go at it very, very, very hard. <laughs> I'd say that's a pretty accurate description. Um, yeah. And and where where are you from? Uh, yes, I'm. As, um, you can probably tell by the accent. I'm Australian uh, from down the southeast. More, more specifically, yeah, down. Uh, so the state's Victoria, and it's Bell's Beach. So uh, in the town of Torquay, down uh, just about an hour south of Melbourne. And what's what's so special about that specific area, Bell's Beach, uh, and Torquay? Ah, oh, man, it's. Uh, I, it's, it's actually kind of hard to put it into words race. It's, it really is. It's something, it's a really, we, the community itself is just incredibly special. We, we seem to have attracted the types of people that really care for community, care for their environment and their coast, uh, which is great because with all the things that we do, it's quite easy to get, you know, people on board with different campaigns and initiatives. Uh, in terms of Bell's, for anyone who hasn't been here, we're, we're at the very gateway of uh, a road called the Great Ocean Road, which is this incredible, I think it's similar to the American Pacific Highway, um, potentially a little better. <clears throat> no, no, a no. little flex right off the bat. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, this is the Australian way, you know, we, we, you know, we like to go a bit of back and forth. <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm only kidding to all you out there, but um, yeah, I guess we're, we're at the very, Torquay's at the very start of the Great Ocean Road, which it is, it's a beautiful winding road that follows this coast where it's cliffs that go straight into the ocean uh, and there's just beaches all the way around. And then obviously for us the prize jewel is bells and I, it's, it's a hard one to really describe why it's so special out there. Um, I think that because there's been so much history with bells from, you know, going way back probably, you know, anywhere between sixty to 100,000 years with uh, the traditional owners of Australia, um, the local Wadawurrung people here, they used to do a lot of kind of, um, meet, they used to have a lot of meetings down there, so it was a bit of a sacred place. And then more recently, obviously, uh, with surfing. Uh, it's one of the homes of surfing, globally speaking. It's the birthplace of Rip Curl and Quicksilver, Um and then obviously when we look at all the competitions and the, the battles that have gone on throughout the, the decades, it's it's incredible to watch. And 
Um, walking down Bell, uh, walking down that that kind of that car park at Bell's during the contest. Uh, I actually worked there years ago, and my dad was doing all the jet skis, and we used to have to be there, like right on dawn. And they used to play ACDC's Hell's Bells every morning. So you'd hear the bells chiming as you were walking down the car park and you get goosebumps, you know. And then I, I sit out there at Bells sometimes and it's, it's my church. I'm not a religious person. I, you know, I, I believe in certain things out there. But what I know is that when I sit out at the back of Bells and I'm sitting next to my dad um, off the end of Rincon, there is something really special out there. And I just look back at those cliffs every time and, yeah, it's a really, really special place, I think, for a lot of people and, and everyone seems to have a story about Bells, um, whether it be the best way of their life or the heaviest hold down of their life or, you know, <laughs> the the stories vary. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's it really does hold a special, special place in people's hearts, I think. Yeah, and now let's zoom out a little bit from Bells and put it in the context of the southern coast of Australia and the Great Australian Bite. Yep. What, 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 what describe that area to us? Cause I think one to a lot of us in the rest of the world, we don't, we didn't, we don't know what the bite is. We're yeah. like a bite. What is a bite? That's not a term that we really use that often. Yeah. Um, but, um, what is the great Australian bite? What, what is down there uh, or what isn't down there? Yeah. It's, it's exactly that. There's, there's so much yet so little, you know, it's, it's one of the most isolated places in the world. Uh, you know, when you just put in perspective, uh, to try and get into my, it's about, we've got about, it's about the width of America, Australia is. Um, so it's quite a, quite a wide country, big expanse, but the difference is within Australia as a whole, you know, it's something like 80 or 85% of our population lives within 20 kilometers of the beach. Uh, and then when you go into that, the great Australian bite area, it's just isolated, rugged wilderness. Uh, but what that means as well is that it's near on pristine. So you have the longest, the longest continuous coastal cliffs in the world there. Um, and then you have obviously the actual ocean is, it's a breeding ground for countless amounts of species. It's a, uh, it's a nursery for whales. Uh, it's just this incredible the energy out there when you I've driven it a couple of times driven across what they call the Nullarbor plain which connects the west to the east coast uh and when you sit there it's it's incredible because it's not like a jaw-dropping beauty every step of the way where everywhere you look there's something new but it's just that sense of you you realize how small you are and kind of in a sense how insignificant how insignificant and that this planet of ours has all these areas that are just they're just magic, really, and they they were there a long time before us, and they looked after themselves really well. And we're hoping that they'll be here, you know, a long time after we're gone, you know. And and that's on us to really look after these places that um, a lot of people now call the Great Australian Bite. They say that it's kind of the Galapagos Islands of Australia. Um, it's really untouched wilderness. Yeah, and it, it as I understand it, it has incredible biodiversity. You know, some species that are not found anywhere else in the world. Um, you know, it's an important area, as you said, for a number of like, uh, marine mammals. Um, and so you've got all this incredible wildlife, you've got this untouched coastline, this ancient space that like, we just seem to be losing more and more of them or having fewer of them around where they're untouched and pristine like that. And, um, wouldn't it be a nice thing to, to keep them that way, to still experience these places. I can think of places like that, that I've been where I, you just feel it just from being there. And even just thinking of that place, you go back there and you remember that energy from that place. And so, um, yeah, it's truly sounds incredible. Oh yeah. Well, you're right. And just, I wanted to touch on that biodiversity when, you know, why it's compared to the Galapagos Islands is 85% of the animals in that area, in the Great Australian Bight, are endemic to that area. So only found in the Great Australian Bight. And they did do, uh, there was a, a really big research project, uh, I think it was between 2012 and 2016, uh, where they went down there. It was kind of a big coalition of actually, funnily enough, fossil fuel companies, the government and a few other. And they took ships down there and there was hundreds of species were discovered down there, you know, new to science. Like it's, so it's a, it really is, it's an untapped kind of part of this world that, yeah, as you say, that is becoming unfortunately kind of, we, we see less and less of these places around the world. Yeah. And so 
this place was recently under threat. And it's been under threat for a long time from a number of different things. Um, but notably, a few different oil companies had gone into the area exploring to think about drilling. Mm-hmm. And one went in and backed out. And another went in and backed out. And then at some point in, I believe, it, was it 2018 or even as far back as 2017, uh, Equinor, which is a foreign oil company, uh, started exploring the potential to drill in the Great Australian Bight, particularly really far out in the Bight. And I want to, I want to like go into a little bit more about that. But before I do, where were you when you heard about this, and what was your reaction when you heard about the potential for drilling in the Bight? I'll never forget that. No, it was. Uh yeah, so Equinor decided, yeah, I, I don't know exactly when it was actually. It would have been probably at the start of 2018 maybe. Uh, that, that sounds right. Yeah, the Equinor kind of formerly known as Statoil as well. And Statoil, Stat is short for state or yeah, it's state in Norwegian. Uh, so it's actually 67% owned by the Norwegian government. And after BP and Chevron both pulled out, they came in in 2018 uh, and my first – uh, my first conversation regarding Equinor was with Sean Doherty, uh, who's a you know surf journalist, works for Patagonia as well, and just an all-around legend. Um, and he called me up when I was actually I was running for state parliament uh, at the end of 2018 as an independent candidate, and I was finishing up. Uh, I do I, I'm kind of I've got a background in construction work and labouring. So I just finished work, jumped in the car and I got a missed call from Sean and called him back and he started, he goes, oh, so you've got to hear about this kind of this Norwegian company and this is what they want to do. And I remember my first thing was, oh, I thought we'd shut that down because BP had left, you know, and he said, no, these, you know, these, these, this company is quietly coming in. They're trying to be as quiet as possible. So, which, you know, it's the kind of the, the go-to for any of these companies, they, they try and get as far down the track as possible with governments and kind of other organisations before they make it public. Um, so that's when I first, uh, uh, you know, first heard about it. Sean said to me, he, he laid out what, what was going on. He said, so I think we can help each other. I think this would be great for your for your campaign because I know you've got an environmental background and I think that, it, you know, it would be a great way for us to get the message out there. And I kind of remember there might have been a few words that I'm not going to say to you now, but I was just like, oh, mate. Don't even worry. Like at the moment, the state election is, you know, great that we can use it, but I'm in no matter what. With or without the election, this is not anything to do with votes or anything. I was like, this is BS, you know, like I'm in and I'll do anything I can um, to, to to help out and to, to stop this. And that was in September 2018 uh, that I found out. Yeah. And so it, it, you know, we started to hear about it through the surf community in some way or another. And, you know, I don't even remember exactly how we got in touch. It was probably through Sean. Mm. Um, but at some point, you know, you just started rallying people. Um, and, and when I say rallying, I like use that term lightly. I mean, you were really the Pied Piper of this movement of the Australian surf community that just kind of built a what would seem to be a coalition as well as um you know although i should back up there was a coalition of the fight for the bite alliance in place right but you really galvanized the people it seemed the coalition seemed to have the organizations together and i'd like to touch on that but it seemed like you started drumming up the people support that the campaign needed so maybe first tell me about the fight for the bite alliance who's in there and where they were and then what you did to kind of rally the people to bring them along for that. Yeah. So the, it's or uh, correct me if I'm wrong in my no, assessment no, no, of a, like how it all came together. It's exactly that. And uh, that's, so it's called the, the great Australian bite Alliance. Uh, and it's an alliance of different organizations. Uh, the, the main players in that were uh, surf rider foundation, uh, sea shepherd, the wilderness society, uh, Patagonia, um, and then there were a couple more that were just supporting us, but the main kind of people there were, were really those those organisations. And it's interesting because a lot of people kind of, I, I've definitely been getting a lot of congratulations and kind of as if 
you know, there was nothing happening before I started and all of a sudden, you know, I just pulled it. Right. I guess there's, there's a couple of different, you're right, there's a couple of different aspects to this. There's the legal aspect uh, and there's kind of looking at, yeah, reading all through, you know, all the boring stuff, I guess, reading through all the policies and kind of whether they're breaking laws and kind of the government well, side of things. Hang on, because I don't want to like, I, I don't want to go over the boring stuff too quickly, just because it is really important. Yes. So to be fair, those organizations are the ones that are going through the like the the, the policy important. documents, yeah. like the environmental assessment that was going through the different stages of NOPSEMA, et cetera. That was like a four hundred page document. Yep. I mean, that's massive. Yep. And you know, some of these organizations need to take the time to read it and then provide the talking points back to people like yourself so you can go out there and talk about what they are right i mean exactly race no no and that's what i'm not trying to take away from the boring stuff it's boring in my ass in my eyes luckily you know for, for any campaign for any initiative for any business for anything that you do you need a team and you need a diverse yep. team i've had people that have said to me you know my one of my closest um team members uh who's who works for surf rider foundation down on the surf coast here i remember him just going like you know, oh, how can you get up in front of like thousands of people and talk? And he just, oh, I couldn't do it. And I'm like, oh, that's fine. You know, that's what I do. And I looked at him and I said, how can you run through document after document and break down? And and he actually goes, he goes, I love it, you know, because he gets to know all the knowledge. So, yeah, it, you're right. It, it, it's a critical part of what we do. And that's where the Great Australian Biod Alliance were amazing for years and years and years. They formed, uh, it would have been you know, four or five years ago, and they've been pushing this as hard as they can in in their own ways, and that's where the the organisation there is. Funnily enough, probably not my strong point. You know, to to really they they put everything in, they go through schedules, and they they they're really really good in that sense. Uh, and that that for me was key as well. They had strategies which was like, okay, being a Norwegian company, the Norwegian the, the Scandinavians as a whole. Uh, usually they're quite environmentally conscious. Stat Oil, which is now Equinor, you know, they're the they're, they're the reason that uh, that Norway is so rich because they have given oil. You know, they've sold oil. They've been great, so they're a household name. They're, and there was a there was a definitely a strategy there. A conscious decision was made for us to really you know get into the Norwegian news. So there's a whole other aspect to that of really pushing the fact of hey Norway yeah just that strategy that yeah, real like, like do you pinpoint. know what do you know what Equinor is doing do you know what your you know your mother mother company is doing right now over the other side of the world so there was really that and that I had very little to do with um, you know we I was part of conversations I guess where like my role in this whole thing which was only one one role was okay I see this and you're right that you know there's the people who are writing policies, breaking down policies, but I think one of the one of the big problems that happens in the environmental sector is the communication when we're trying to translate it to you know the everyday person, and that's where I took it on. Where I went, all right, like I've got you know a bit of an environmental background, but in all honesty, yeah, the policy writing and all of that isn't my. It's not really my passion. My passion is kind of educating the public or, or really communicating to the people. And that's, that's I guess, what I did. Uh, so whilst we were on, the, on you know, from September through to February, interestingly enough, we were trying to drum up a lot of, a lot of uh, kind of interest from our communities, but it wasn't until end of February that when they dropped their environmental plan for public viewing, that's when we took over in, in the public kind of, in the, the the kind of realm there of, of really making sure that the public knew what was going on. Right. And, and, and that's when it seemed like things started to really peak. I mean, we started to hear, you know, we started to see it in our social media feeds. We started to see uh, the surf community really engage. And over the course of a few months, and that's when we started to really connect there was like, oh, this is, this is a thing. This is a campaign. We connected to make sure like, you know, that we wanted to be able to help on the side of the WSL and, you know, can we get behind this in some way? And, um, it was all new territory for us. So we were kind of like, we don't really know what's going on here. We got to talk to the players involved. And of course, you know, we're based out of the U S so I was like, how do we make sure that we're engaging with the right people on the ground there? And, um, I think what was cool was just the way we got behind it was you had, you had, quorum of the Australian surf community. That's the way I saw it. You know, like you got people powered up and there's no way to look at it 
for us as an organization other than these are our people, these are our our fans, these are our, our surfers, these are people that we care about in communities that we care about, in areas that we care about. And it wasn't a business interest. It was like the people I've spoken and we need to support our people who are speaking out. That's the way we looked at it. You know, like we could do the the math and see that if there was a spill as a result of the drilling, that the spill map would potentially affect Bells, potentially affect Margaret River, places where the WSL has competitions. But that wasn't even the biggest part. It was really about the people and the people power of this movement. And that's particularly what I'm so interested in is rallying people to come out and take time out of their day to become activists, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and do that repeatedly over months. I just think that's so impressive because it's not just a brute force one day thing. It was strength in numbers over time Yep, and consistently delivering that message over time, over months, over months, over months. And so I'm curious, you know, what were some of the, what was that like for you? And what were some of the tactics you used to kind of like get everyone organized and, and make that happen and, 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 and maybe describe some of the paddle outs that you held? Cause that's what you ultimately were doing were yeah, these well, so paddle outs. We, yeah. So we, when they dropped the environmental plan for yeah, end of February at some point, might've been the 24th, 25th, something like that. And straight away we jumped on the ball, uh, jumped on it and we went, well, now's our chance because it's now become a reality. That's that's essentially Equinor officially telling the Australian public we are interested in drilling in the bite. And that's when we went, all right, we need to do a paddle out. Um, and we, I, I gathered our team and I just said, like, this is what we need to do. It'll be, you know, it, it's going to be great. We'll get a few hundred people down in Torquay. Um, I got a couple of new people on board that had approached me and said, like, oh, we're going to do a paddle out. And I was like, no, 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 hang on. Let's, let's join forces. So off we went. We had a week to. What do you What do you mean when you said you're getting people on board? Like you weren't like it's not like you're paying people. What does that no, mean? You just, no, 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 you're no. You're just no. getting people to volunteer their time. Volunteer. And, right? I mean, yeah, and that's uh, everything that we've ever done. I'm not a money driven person. I'm, you know, I'm pretty broke. I'm happy to, you know, it's, it's the I'm over the last two years. It's the brokest I've ever been in my life, and it's also the most the most passionate and driven I've ever been in my life. I've earned, you know, a decent amount of money. Funnily enough, and you know, full disclosure, I've been open about it. I used to work in the fossil fuel industry. I used to work in the offshore industry. I did it throughout my 20s. And I guess this, and it is going into what I'm about to say, is I did so because, A, well, it was really good money and it was also the fact that I felt a sense of, like, kind of helplessness of, well, I'm just another number. So if it's not me who takes the job, someone else will. I'm not saving the world by not being part of this. And this is in my 20s, mind you. And I got to a point where finally I just stopped lying to yourself and turned around and went studied in uh, environmental science. Um, but, yeah, getting back to, to kind of what, what we did was I we, we – that's, I guess, probably one of my strengths, and I have many weaknesses, but one of my strengths is being able to talk to people and get people on board because I – I only ever take on things that I really believe in. And when I believe in things, I can sit you down and I'm, I've got a passionate way of speaking. I know I'm now, finally, I can, us Australians don't, we've got a hard time in actually giving ourselves compliments. <laughs> For sure. Uh, it's not part of our culture, but uh, yeah, I, I've realised now, I'm like, okay, that is one of my strengths probably. So when I speak to people and I say, well, this is what's going on with Equinor, this is with the potential risks, Think about this, this, and this. This is what we're going to do. It's going to work. My, my, for, with my whole team, it's always been let's shoot for the moon and we'll deal with the logistics later. Logistics are very important, but we first want to have that goal where we really strive for, strive for the, the best that we can. So within that week, there were people kind of jumping on board and off we go for, for kind of, oh, we'll get a few hundred people, you know. We haven't even bothered to get permits or anything. If we can get a, a, a paddle out with three, 400 people, it would be great. And we put it up there and then uh, there was uh, my media manager who had just jumped on a couple of months before, um, Je- Jeremy, or known as Jezelenko Creative, uh, which I know you know quite well, Reese. Um, For sure. Yeah. So he- A very passionate user of media and always on it. Here's a, new, here's a new piece of content. Here's a piece of content. Here we go. We're ramping up. Here's the message. Shout out, Jezza. We see you. Yeah. So he was actually a very big, uh, he was he was. He played a very critical role in actually amassing the crowds as well because straight away his job is not only filming and editing but social media. And he just went, this is what we need to do. We need to make everyone 
feel like they need to be there. You know, do you care for the ocean? Get down here, you know, and not just surfers. And I kept reiterating this for months all of last year. This isn't just about surfers. This is for anyone who's ever stepped foot on the on the beach. This is for anyone who's ever looked at a sea creature and gone, oh, that's cute, you know, like it, it, it's the ocean means something to everyone. So we really pushed that and um, came, th- we got to Thursday and we'd had a Facebook invitation, you know, the, you know, the uh, Facebook invitation thing for, a, for a, an event. And then I get the call from the local authority down here and I hadn't got any permits or anything. And he's just kind of called me. He's like, do you want to tell me what's going on on Saturday? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to have a bit of a paddle out and you know, it won't be too many people. What, what's the difference? What if it's just a bunch of people going surfing? What, you know, hey, <sighs> hey, man, I can't. Con- <laughs> yeah, well, that's what we were going with, to be to be perfectly honest. There was like, we just kind of thought, oh, it won't be too many people. And he actually goes, have you had a look at your events page? He said, there's over a thousand people coming. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, but that's you. And he just said, I really want to help you out here. You know, I believe in what you're doing, but you've got to go through the right processes. And this is what I've learned a lot in the last year of, yeah, you, I'm a... I'm a go-getter, but I sometimes don't adhere to the rules. Um, so he helped me out. He said, listen, get it all to get all your stuff into me tonight and off we go. Um, yeah. And he, he was really great. He sent us through the permit the next morning and it was all good. So fast forward to Saturday, uh, we had our, we started at 12 o'clock and we were sitting and going, okay, we don't know how many people are going to, oh, there was the other one, the you know, the big oil rig. That, that that we kind of yeah so that that was the idea of Darren who works for Surfrider Foundation on the Friday night and he said what if we and, the, the, and what it was for for people listening so it was basically you guys took like a sub squatch and then made an oil rig on top of it so that it could like you could stand on it like yep. a stage basically in the center of this paddle out yeah and we'll 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 link to you know imagery of this in the show notes but you basically had a platform in the center of the whole paddle out with a fake oil rig. And you also had a microphone and like an amp out there or a bullhorn. Uh, no, so right? that, like, that was on the beach that we did. A yeah. later one? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was on but, the beach. I mean, I just it. remember seeing this thing and I was like, I can't believe they built this whole thing. Oh, no, um, we, we came up with the idea Friday. We came up with the idea Friday night and then Saturday morning, first thing, Darren sends a message to a whole bunch of us saying, bring your drills and some screws. We, I need your help right now. Um, well, the learning for, for me and I think for anyone who's into campaigns like this is you created such a strong visual. Yeah. And that's really important because otherwise it's just a bunch of people yelling about stuff. Mm. But I think, you know, it's just a bunch of people on surfboards in the ocean, right? And yep. then until you have the signs and and that drill, you know, or the the, the oil rig, yep. it makes this strong visual that makes the thing click right away. You're like, oh, I know what these people are talking about. Exactly. And your visuals, I thought, were really powerful. So to go back to Jezza's work, and I'm just trying to like pull out the nuggets of wisdom that I'm, um, you know, learned from your campaign, which was like, one, you speak passionately and I would, I would add authentically. Um, I think that's one of your other skills or superpowers is that you're so authentic. You're not afraid to admit who you are and who you aren't. And mm. then because of that, people trust in you more, even, you know, say like, yeah, Hey, I worked in oil and you know, I get it, but you know, that's who I am. This is who I am now. This is what I care about and being straightforward with people. So I say you have this authenticity. You then were really good at communicating that. And then the imagery and the media that was used, especially the drone shots of just all yeah. these people that just created this incredible sort of like, Whoa, this thing is real. Yeah. And I guess my question, my next question is like, when you were planning that first one, did you have any idea that you were going to be doing, how many paddle outs did you do? Uh, well, first of all, no, I did. I had no idea. Uh, I think personally I've been involved now in, I think it was, we counted 12 paddle outs that I've, I've led 12 paddle outs across the country. But there were far more across the country. There were far more. And maybe we'll probably get to that a little bit like when it came to the National Day of Action, um, which was in November. Yeah. Um, but the first one, no, we had no idea. And, and that's- you just, you just launched into it. Well, we just kind of thought, well, we'll do our bit. And that was the thing. We, as I said, we were expecting four to 500 people. And it was, it's insane how much it was like, it was like a movie. Like I was standing there with a couple of my team, standing on the beach, you know, with our back to the ocean, looking looking up at, at where we were going to talk. And as the clock struck 12, a flood of people, oh, just came in and it was all, we kind of looked at each other and we're like, oh, what have we just created here? Like, we're, whoa, okay. So we, we weren't really, 
yeah, we weren't really prepared for that. Like, and all of a sudden there was kind of, I don't even know, 2,000 people came down to the first one. Um, and, yeah, and then we paddled out and, and Ed Sloan was actually one of those ones who who captured right. those incredible photos out in the water with the, the ominous black clouds and, yeah. And yeah, there was no megaphone out there. And I can tell you when I came into the beach, my voice was gone. Like I couldn't speak. I was yeah. in tears. I didn't know what had just happened. I I flipped the bird to to the sign. I did that was the last <laughs> I didn't know what I just all this energy just bubbled up and I was just ah, you know. Um but it did, I think what what it was and and bringing it back to what you were saying about the imagery and and how powerful it is. It wasn't so much a protest as a celebration of our love for the ocean. And it wasn't just for surfers. It wasn't just environmentalists. It wasn't, you know, it, it was actually going like it, we had people out there, anyone from, you know, we had 70-year-olds paddling out on longboards and then we had new families coming out and there'd be a 12-month-old sitting on, on a board. Uh, we had pro surfers coming down and people that had never surfed before. And it was this energy when people came in from the paddle out, and I still get it. I'm getting goosebumps right now thinking about it. It, it. The energy coming in, people were almost in shock of just, whoa, what was that? Like that, I feel so good. And, and it was that connectedness, connectivity between your community. So we're not in this alone. We're in this together. Look at the amount of people who do care for the ocean, and that's empowering. And then actually being out in the ocean like that and the splashing, um, it was really something that I think people took away as quite an, enlight an enlightening moment, I'd say, for people just going, well, like, it, I was part of something, you know, I really was. Yeah. And, and that's where, yeah, for, for me that, that was the special thing, let alone the beauty of the actual whole campaign, as you say, the, all the drone shots and things like that of, you know, this beautiful, the Australian coastline, it's, it is, it's beautiful, it's pristine. We are so fortunate to live here. Like we, we totally. go for walks on the beach every day and it's, there's, there's barely, you know, we get bits of plastic and whatever, but overall it's beautiful, you know, so. Yeah. So, so you had this incredible day. You then ended up doing many more of them. Yep. Um, you know, you said 12 or so. And then, and this is over months. I mean, uh, you know, there was one in and around the Bells event, Yep. Um, nearby, which some of our pros, like you mentioned, went to. But then, you know, you continued the pressure and continued sort of putting it on everybody uh, for a while. And yep. then there was eventually, uh, if we fast forward a little bit to the fall, or at least our fall, um, your spring, um, it wasn't looking great, right? Like it was looking as if this thing was going to go ahead. Equinor was continuing to go forward. Nopsema, the Australian government seemed like they weren't going to stop them. Um, and you had an, one final sort of national day of action of many paddle outs all across the country, right? Yep. And, and how'd it go? Yeah, we, we got 57 very successful paddle outs and it was from all the way from Northern Queensland, all the way down the East Coast, so people that weren't even going to be affected by this potential oil spill, all the way across the Southern Coast and then back up Western Australia. Um, yeah. And so fast forward to it was maybe, what, a month or two ago? All of a sudden well, the news first, breaks. First of all, it was, oh, so I must say as well, throughout the winter, the, for our winter, your summer, and this is why we also had the National Day of Action was, the environmental plan actually got asked for the asked to be reviewed a couple of times by Equinor. So our government kept pushing it back, going, "Oh no, you need to improve X, Y, Z." You know, a few different pieces. So they got knocked back twice, and that's when we went, "All right, we need to really show again another bit of force." And we did that, and then it came to <laughs> then they were t then it was we were told that uh, our government wouldn't make a decision between the Christmas, the, the, the holidays. So before between the, I think it was the 23rd of December through to the 5th of January, they won't make any decisions and we're like, oh, thanks, you know. And then they ended up dropping the decision and they approved the project on December 20th, I think it was, or 21st. So just before the holidays, um, which was a huge blow to all of us. And this is in the middle of yeah. the fires as well. So when our so, whole country is yeah, on context, fire. So, yeah, for context, the whole country is literally on fire. Yeah. Um, 
a billion animals lost, uh, a bunch of homes lost, some lives lost. Yeah. The country's on fire, clearly a result of climate change, or at least made worse by yeah. climate change, not a result of, I should yeah. say, but it made worse by climate change, which is, you know, relevant to the whole oil conversation. And then the government approves the project. Yep. And at that, and like, I mean, that, that, that was kind of like, to me, a nail in the coffin. I was like, all right, well, that's it. Yeah. But then, you know, yeah, I don't want to fast forward through the fires, but all of a sudden we later get yeah, so the we get news uh, that breaks. Yeah, we got it. Uh, when was it? Start of it was made. No, maybe end of February. I think it was. And yeah, we had. We, we it was heartbreaking, and you know, I want to also just one personal story that I heard, and this is testament to the incredible work that community leaders do, and that that those who just care about their community. I had a friend of mine, uh, Monica Mudge, who is from Ulladulla, so the south coast of New South Wales, just south of Sydney. She had been integral in her her community for the fight for the bite. And then at the same time, they had the fires going. And this is, so I also just want to quickly say, all of the communities that I called to do these 57 events, there were a huge number of them that literally had a fire on their back doorstep and I was going, listen, I don't want to put too much pressure. And they were like, oh, no, 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 we're doing this because it matters and it's what we care about. We're passionate. We're coastal people. And that for me shows that love and that care and that the tireless work that communities do. And Monica is a perfect example. She heard about, she had the fires on her doorstep. She heard about the decision, that the, the approval of, of Equinor's project and the New South Wales government just stripped away all the marine parks around her area. She had it on all sides, just just getting absolutely slammed on all sides. Um, and it deflated all of us. During the fires, our whole country went, that was a very dark few months. And then we fast forward to March, uh, to February um, and Je- Jeremy calls me up and he's just like, mate, you're not going to believe Equinor's just pulled out, Equinor's pulled out. And I was driving and I just went, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I'm like, hang on, what? And it took a second and then... I personally just, I pulled over, <laughs> I almost like semi-crashed pulled over. I was just like into the into the grass and I started shaking and just, <laughs> just burst out crying really because it was, yeah, Quinoa's pulled out all this work that we'd done for a year. Like people, the people had spoken and the power of the people really, um, we won, you know, we won and it was not, it was a much needed break for Australia because we have been getting slammed over here. Like, you know, we, we've got a, you know, and I'm sorry, I know I'm getting a bit emotional. but <laughs> Hey, man, it's totally okay. <laughs> it, um, yeah, we, we've had a really rough trot over here from an environmental point of view. Um, our government seems to be, and I don't want to get, I don't want to get political, but we're getting... Um, yeah, we're, we're really, we're, we're, we're getting, there's a lot of pressure on, on Australia right now in, in terms of environment. We've got an appalling climate change policy. Um, we're deforesting at unprecedented rates. Our oceans are getting just, you know, destroyed at, at, at alarming rates. Kelp forests are going, the fires hit it. And we were just looking going, you know, and a, a lot of my, my kind of environmental friends are just, there was starting to be that, little bit, it was starting to edge into all of our minds of kind of unfortunately what's the point, you know. We do all of this work and we have tens of thousands of people that stand up for something. It's so clear that the, the general public don't want this and it still goes ahead and it, it it was heartbreaking. And then to have this wind just meant so much to all of us. It really did. I'll, I'll never forget when I, I called you. I think within an hour or two of seeing the news, I, I, I saw the article and I, I, I jumped up out of my seat. I was in the office. I'll, I'll never forget. I was in the office. And I just went, they did it. They did it. They won. They beat it. We won. Like I, yeah. and people were looking at me like, what is what, Reese is crazy. What is he doing? And, and I was like, Equinor, they backed out. And you know, the team had helped support this and they were like, holy, you know, like yeah. clapping. And, and I got on the line with you and one of the first things you said was we needed this, like we yeah. needed this, you know? And I remember, I remember hearing your voice and I, I can remember it now. And I, you know, you guys, yes, in Australia needed it, but I also think 
environmentally, just broadly speaking across the globe, like we all needed that. We needed that positive moment. And to me, that was a, look, people can do it. We can still help stop something. Now there, you know, I'll caveat that. Sure. Maybe there were other reasons that Equinor backed out or a number of reasons. Absolutely. Fine. Absolutely. But there's no way of, you know, detaching what you all accomplished and what the community did and said and stood up for from their decision. Like to me, that was a very just clear example of a victory of you guys standing up and that the Equinor realized we can't do this. We, or we can't do it in good faith or something or whatever it is. Yeah. I don't even care. I'm just glad that it didn't go forward well, and I'm happy it. for you. And I, and I think it, it is, uh, that, that was it, is they, they stated uh, that it was, they had a holistic look at their portfolio and that they realised it wasn't economically viable, which, again, I'll call complete uh, BS on that. Like you're telling me that after two years of them spending millions of dollars to get this project across, someone finally looked at the accounting books? Like, come on, you know, like we, we you know, we just did the math, yeah. and it turns out that drilling uh, <laughs> multiple kilometers deep in really stormy ocean, uh, a couple hundred kilometers offshore, not such a great yeah. idea. Yeah. We finally, we just yeah, did that exactly. math. Exactly. Yeah, I yeah. think it's like, yeah, I think Stefan actually put a decimal point in the wrong in the wrong place. That's what it was, you know. <laughs> no, he has been it, sacked. You're right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, no, I think then that was the thing. It's not that it was purely our our protests but i think that it was a mixture of the public pressure in australia the pressure by the norwegian public which i must say give full credit to the great australian bodylines and also to all of those environmental groups in norway that worked with us um yep. the green pieces and 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 the sea shepherds over there um, and then also uh, you know it's if you're ever going to find a bit of a silver lining from these fires that was it as well, is a, a, a company that's 67% government-owned in, in a com- country that is trying, you know, that's pretend, well, saying that they're going renewable um, or, or definitely going down that pathway, and then they are the poster child for a new fossil fuel company coming into Australia as it's being ravaged by fire. So I think it, it's real, it's a mixture of that, and, and that's probably where they just looked and went, this is a PR nightmare. It already was last year and now is just if they're, you know, yeah. So I think it was a mixture of everything. And also getting back to the U1, we one. this is the beauty of it. I've had a lot of people, again, come up to me and kind of say, well done, you know, you did a great job and... I played my part, definitely, you know, and I, I definitely, I, you know, led some paddle outs and, I, you know, thankfully Jez was really great on social media and we we definitely pushed it and our team was was great, but we wouldn't have done this without the without the coastal communities and, and without the communities as a whole around Australia and around the world, um, yourselves included. Uh, I, I think that it's a, a victory for every single person who stepped foot on that beach, anyone who posted something that had a sign. I think it's a it's also a great kind of example for all these young the young people that in a time where you know there there is a lot of a lot of crisis is going on, the climate crisis, and there's, again, it goes back to, and I, I can, you know, really connect to this, is that sense of helplessness. Um, I think that for me what the, the the really great thing was this was all of our victory and it was, you know, that that six-year-old kid that, that painted a sign the night before and stepped onto his beach or her beach to to fight for, for, their, for their beach and for them... I think that is a huge that that for me is what I, what I get out of it is I've heard so many stories of little kids going, we won, you know, we stopped them, and again I'll pray, you know, I tear up every time. I've got so many stories like this of you know just seeing the young people like that and all of these people. It's it was a collective of what people power can do against multinational companies and and kind of government decisions that we we do have the power. I think. So that that for me is is one of the most incredible things. It wasn't any one person, any one organization that was fighting. This was us. This was all of us, you know. And and a, and a huge thank you to WSL as well. Like I know we kept inundating you with so much stuff, and we're like, put this on, put this on, you know. And and you were great and so level headed at a time when we were going a million miles an hour. Um, and that's for myself and Jez. 
so thank you for for really showing us that support. Like it was it was really yeah it, it, that that also played a huge part in getting that message out. You you guys did the work, and we were happy to support. And um, you know, I think that what feels really good about it is, like you say, it was this win, this kind of injection of positivity that everyone needs. Of like, okay, we can get some wins. You know, this is it's a long arc. You know, environmentalism is a long, long arc, and we have a long way to go to getting toward that sort of renewable, sustainable economy that we all want and a healthy, stable environment for future generations. But um, you know, to get these wins along the way is important fuel for that next battle, right? And, exactly. You know, we have some pretty big, pretty big battles coming up. Um, you know, we've, yeah. we've, we're trying to work towards our, you know, 2015 Paris Agreement goals across the world, and the United States is clearly trying to screw that one up. And we've got the 30 by 30 conservation goals for biodiversity, um, hopefully getting across the line later this year. And meanwhile, we're trying to do all of this amidst COVID 19. Yeah. So our ability to rally and have these protests is one completely limited, stopped, yep. and two, you also are seeing you know governments use the 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 moment to essentially ban protests in a lot of places to stop people from mm -hmm. protesting around critical infrastructure projects, and so you know there are some challenges out there, but this was a case of a win. You know, this is the case of we can see what happens and, and we, we can win when we all get together and use our voice collectively. So I would say, again, thanks, man, yeah. to you and all the people who did such amazing work. And thanks for letting us uh, play a small part in it. Thanks. And, appreciate uh, it. Yeah. And yeah, as you said, it, it is true that the, listen, the fight's the fight's far from over. You know, the fight for the bite hasn't ended because this was only Equinor pulling out. The government's still pushing ahead. Uh, we do have quite a conservative government, um, similar to probably what what America's dealing with right now. Um, and it, we we're, what we're working towards now is to get World Heritage protection for the Great Australian Bite and just stop this once and for all because uh, we've had three of the major companies, you know, BP and Chevron were before Equinor. And they've all pulled out, but it's not to say that there isn't some company right now looking to to kind of weasel their way in as well. And on that as well, with the, with everything going on with COVID nineteen, like the unfortunate reality as well is there are things getting passed right now, kind of under the radar because we're all focused on COVID nineteen. And it's also a time that I, I look at this whole situation, this global pandemic, as something that it's tra a tragedy. It's a it's an international tragedy. To what's going on? But looking forward post-COVID-19, what I'm working on right now with my team and, and you know, tr wanting to spread to the world is that we are going to have, we're going to come, we're, we're at a fork in the road right now where we have kind of two choices when we come out of this. We either allow our governments to go back to business as usual and, you know, they, they'll, if, if not some more, because they'll be trying to ramp up the economy in the old way, which will be very destructive to our environment, or we make a conscious decision now and we rally the troops now digitally in different ways, which I know you're doing with the 30 by 30, um, and we actually change the direction of our society right now where we build our society and our economies not on GDP, but on the overall well-being of our of our communities, and something that's built on uh, resilience and sustainability, the true form of sustainability. So we need to have those three pillars in our in our society, which are yes, economy, social well-being, and the environment. Those have to play a, a, a kind of an equal part in our society. At the moment, it feels our economy. You know, it's been very much based around our economy. And it's to the detriment of our social and environmental well-being. So we do have a time right now. Right now is that moment. We decide. And this goes back to anyone who's felt helpless, have a look at our Fight for the Bike campaign. We would we did that with no money, you know, all we had was passion, people power, and a drive. And we can do this. That's the that's for me the overall kind of message from all of this is we, ha we can have control, we just have to make sure that we know that. And for anyone out there who does, who's feeling on the edge of, I want to help but don't know how to, start joining local groups. Join community groups, 
you know, get involved. Get involved, and you don't know yeah. where that will go. You know, and and just start communicating with people and start spreading that message because that's the way that it's going to do. So, and while we're you know, we're not social distancing, we're physical distancing. We are still very much being social. So please be more social than ever and get out there and, and kind of like for me it's get involved for your future and your children's future. That's all I'm I'm not doing this. To be honest, I'm not doing this for you, Reese, any of the environmental stuff. I'm doing this for your kids and their kids, you know. So that's. Cheers, buddy. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I am, obviously. But you know what I mean? It's a long-term thing. Of, I'm not that old, man. <laughs> Oh, well, neither am I, but <laughs> no, 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 but you understand it, it is. It's this thing of thinking yeah. more about where are we going to be, not not what's what the GDP is going to be next year, but what is our planet and our environment and our society going to look like in 10 years, 15, 20 years' time. And right now when the whole world has just been switched off, we actually have a great opportunity to reassess and go down a different avenue. Yeah, man, I agree. Um, with that, I'm going to switch off soon it's getting late here but yeah. this is a fantastic catch-up damien i really appreciate it and appreciate all the work that you do no thanks very much man thanks again to the to the wsl for, for supporting us and everything and uh this won't be the last that you hear from from our team you know where we're working on things <laughs> continuously so um yeah i'm not at all surprised to hear that <laughs> <laughs> all right well thanks a lot for your time cool. mate. thanks Emma. all right see ya Thanks, Damien, for this chat and for everyone who worked so hard on this campaign. There are a lot of lessons in here, from the power of great teamwork to smart activist strategy, sharp imagery, and authentic communication. There's more to this overall effort, from guys like Heath Josky going to Norway to hold a paddle out on Equinor's turf, to surf photographers like Ed Sloan shooting the paddle outs, to world champion pro surfers signing their names to the campaign, to real musicians like Billy Otto writing a custom song for the campaign. And we're gonna need continued creative energy like this because until we proactively protect places like the Great Australian Bite, they will always be at risk. If you wanna see how great the waves can get in the bite, hit up worldsurfleague.com to see the 2001 Bells competition starring rookie surfer Mick Fanning. And if you like the show, please throw us a rating and a review. It helps the podcast grow and encourages more people like you to join our efforts to protect their local coast. As always, check out the show notes for links and see more about the Great Australian Bite. And feel free to hit us up online at WCLPure or email us at oneocean at WCLPure.org. That's it for this week. Stay home, shred later, and we'll catch you next week. <laughs>